want you to look with me in the book of Psalms tonight, the 23rd Psalm. Probably most of us here can quote this psalm. We probably heard it preached many, many times. And I won't tell you anything new, but I would like to remind you of something in this psalm. Let's read it together. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm going to zero in tonight on verse number four. One more time, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let's pray a moment. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We're glad tonight, Lord, to be assembled together with the saints of God. We're glad for the songs of Zion. We're glad for the fellowship of believers. We're glad tonight for the good word of God the written living word, and the resurrected living word. And, Lord, we're thankful for the sweet Holy Spirit that ministers to us. Now, I pray you'll help us now to exalt you and magnify you and lift you up and to bow the knee and to bow our hearts before you. And, Lord, if you get exalted, if you get lifted up, if you get glorified, we'll get helped. So we need some help, Lord. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. This verse number four, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I was watching um, an infomercial. You ever seen one? They sell all kind of things on those infomercials, and it, it, it happens just about no matter what they're selling, but I think the particular one that I was selling or was watching was the thing that you cranked, and it had little insert you put in it and it would slice your food and dice your food and you could make a salad or you could slice cucumbers or you could do about whatever you wanted to do. And I don't remember the exact price. I think it was nineteen ninety five and then probably three dollars and forty five cents shipping. So they went through and they showed you all the things that it could do. Then they told you that it you couldn't buy it in stores. You had to call the number or go to the website. Then they gave you the number. Then they told you what it would cost. And then when they were all done and you thought the thing was finished, they said, but wait, there's more. You've seen that commercial, haven't you? They said, if you'll call within the next 15 minutes, you can double your offer and just pay a separate shipping and handling fee. Now I'm thinking about that little phrase, but wait, there's more. Now look at this word in verse 4, the word yea. So preacher, what's that word mean? Here's what it means. But wait, there's more. That's what it means. When you look in this passage, David begins and he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
And then he tells us, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, David could have stopped right there, but he didn't. He said, but wait, there's more. If you look at this word, yea, if you look it up, it's found, it's the Hebrew word, and I, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right. It's spelled G-A-M, so I'm assuming it's gam. I've never been very good at these Hebrew words, but I do know how to use a Strong's Concordance. And so I looked it up, and you'll find this Hebrew word 761 times in the Old Testament. So it's a well-used word. And it's translated, the word gam is translated in different ways. And when you get in your King James Bible, which I believe is absolutely perfect and correct, amen, and I still believe, and I get in trouble when I say this, but I still believe that it is inspired and preserved of God. And so when you find this word, the, the Hebrew, tra- the translators of our King James Bible would transfer the, translate the word and it would fit the context of the passage. So sometimes the word gam is translated and. Sometimes it's also. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's even. Sometimes it's likewise. Sometimes it's in like manner. And sometimes it's moreover. And then sometimes it's translated where it is here. It's translated yea. And if you take all those words, basically they're all meaning the same thing, that there's a little more here. There's something extra here. There's something added here. So David wants us to know that yes, the Lord is our shepherd. And yes, he's our shepherd when we're lying down in the green pastures. That's a good place to be. Amen. When your belly's full and sheep don't lie down unless their bellies are full. And so they've been in the green pastures and they're full and they're satisfied and they lay down. That's a good time for the Lord to be your shepherd. And beside the still waters, the sheep are easily spooked. And so uh, the shepherd, I don't have time to go into all of this, but he will make sure the water he gives them is from somewhere where there's not a lot of rippling and a lot of noise because it will frighten them and so it's good to be in the green pastures and it's good to be by the still waters and it's good to be restored and it's good to be walking in the paths of righteousness but what about when you get in the valley what about when you're in the valley of the shadow of death what about when you're going through the trial well guess what he's still your shepherd He's not just your shepherd in the green pastures. He's not just your shepherd by the still waters. He's not just your shepherd in the paths of righteousness. Somebody might say to me, preacher, I got out of the path. I got, I got out of the path. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. Can I tell you something? He's still your shepherd. He's still your shepherd. He still considers you his sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Unfortunately, sometimes we follow afar off. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. He wants us to be reminded that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And he's still our shepherd even when we're not in the green pastures, even when we're not in the still, by the still waters, even when we're not in the, uh, in the paths of righteousness, He is our shepherd when we're in the valley. And I'm going to tell you, in the Christian life, there's going to be some valleys. There's going to be some difficulties. There are really three kind of things. Uh, there may be four, but three very prominent ways in the Bible that the Bible talks about going through trouble. It talks about the storm. Now, the storm is, is a little different from the valley. The storm comes on you suddenly. And when the storm comes on you suddenly, there's only one thing to do. Hunker down where you are, find a safe place, and just stay there. 
And then there's the fire. I won't talk much about the fire. Sometimes the flood is used, but a lot of time the valley is used as a place of difficulty. And the valley is not something that comes on you suddenly. The valley is something that comes on you kind of slowly. And when you're in the valley, it's not a time to hunker down. It's time to keep on walking. It's a time to keep on going, to get through the valley. Now, some writers believe that, and I've read this in several commentaries, and I suppose it's true. I've never been to Israel. Maybe somebody has. I have been to the Holy Land. If you don't know where that is, that's Brown County, Indiana, where I live. A lady told me, she said one day, where do you like to go on vacation? I said, I like to go home. Amen. I was in Pigeon Forge one time, and, you know, they have those, uh, what do you call them things, those uh, timeshare deals, you know what I'm talking about? And you can go in and go through that deal, and it's supposed to take 45 minutes, and they'll try to sell you one. It took three hours, and I never bought one, and they kept giving me more high-powered salesmen, more high-powered, more high-pressure. I just went because you got a $100 Visa card if you went and sat through the thing. That's all, And I told them, that's what I'm here for. I'm not buying a timeshare. I want the $100 Visa card. They just kept asking, fine. Finally, this lady, she couldn't understand what we do. We kept explaining it to her. Finally, she said, well, sir, when you retire, don't you want to travel? Yeah, it is funny. I said, ma'am, when I retire, I'm going home, go inside the house, lock the door, never come out, because that's all I do is travel. Amen, travel. I was starting to tell something. I had no idea what it was before I got off on that. But in your life, in your spiritual life, there are going to be valleys. There are going to be times of trouble. There's going to be difficulties. Now, they say, when I, what I've read about in these commentaries, they say that there is an actual place called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. I wrote down a couple of things about it. That they said that it is a valley leading from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. In places, it is very narrow. Uh, the bottom of it, the, the floor of it, we might call it, is filled with crevices. And there's uh, places where it's easy to hurt yourself and fall. Uh, the wide, the walls, the side walls are about 1,500 feet high in places. It is less than five miles long, but in that short distance, it drops from 2,700 feet above sea level to 400 feet below sea level. In some places, they say it is so narrow that a sheep cannot turn around in it, and because of that, it is a, it is a, it is a law understood that the sheep will go one direction at one time of the day, and they'll go a different direction at the other time of day. But I want you to think about going through a place where you go in, it's so narrow, the walls are so high, it's rocky, there's places for uh, enemies to hide, uh, the floor is difficult to walk on, there are holes to fall in, and, it's, and it goes down at a very rapid rate. They call it the valley of the shadow of death. I thought, what a picture of the valleys in our Christian life. Those are the kind of things we get in places where sometimes it's hard to know where to put your foot the next time. Hard to know what to do next. Uh, sometimes it's hard. You can't get turned around in there. There's places you got to be careful you don't fall off. It gets that way in our Christian life. We go through the valley. Now, David in this passage, some would say, well, he's talking about dying. Well... I might, I might could maybe uh, say that the valley of the shadow of death is when you die. But the truth of the matter is, when we die, we're not going to have much trouble. In fact, to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. 
I read one, I read the testimony. There's a wonderful little book, if you ever get a hold of it, by a man named S.B. Shaw called Dying Testimonies of the Saved and the Lost. And all the book is, it's filled with testimonies that people sent him that people said when they were dying. Some of them were unsaved, and they said some awful things when they were dying, but many of them were saved. And I remember the, the testimony of one dear old saint of God, and he was facing death, and when death was just around the corner, he smiled at those around him, and he said, So! This is death. He said, how have I feared such a wonderful friend? I'm going to tell you, death for the Christian is a wonderful thing because we're just going to heaven. Amen. We're going to be with Jesus. All our troubles and difficulties are going to be over. So I don't know that he's talking about actual dying. Maybe there's some application there. But I think he's talking about the fact that our whole life in this in this world, because of the sin of our parents, our whole life is shadowed by a death sentence. For by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. So you and I are facing every day the shadow of death. Now, when we come to the valley, you say, well, preacher, is Jesus really my shepherd in the valley? He is. Now, I want to show you some things about the valley that are in this verse. And I want us to see how important the valleys are in our Christian life. Somebody said, well, preacher, I I, uh, I don't want to go through the valley, and I don't want to go through the trial, and I don't want to go through the trouble. And yet the trial and the valley is what increases our faith and solidifies our faith and strengthens strengthens our faith, and matures our faith for the Christian life. Now, I want you to notice three things that he says here about this valley. Here's the first thing I want us to think of. Number one, faith is made pure in the valley. Faith is purified in the valley. Now, think about what he says in this verse. The things that he mentions, everything in this verse would seem to be opposed to living in faith. Notice the first thing. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley... Of the shadow of death. Now remember what I told you about that valley of shadow of death? That it's very, it rapidly takes a downward turn. That would be the opposite of what we would think of faith. Because here's what we like to sing. I'm moving on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Isn't that what we like to sing? But we're not going upward in this psalm. We're going downward. You say, well preacher, I'm rising to new heights. But not in this psalm. We're going downward. That seemed to be the opposite of the life of faith. Not only that, but there are falsehoods in this valley. Watch what it said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. You know what shadows are? Shadows are usually a distortion of something. When you see a shadow, it's usually a distortion of what's really going on. It's as though death stands on the edge of the valley and casts a distorted shadow that makes uh, makes him look much worse than he is. The enemy makes him look more powerful than he is and more dangerous than he is. There are falsehoods in the valley. And, be, and as I mentioned a moment ago, because of the sin of our parents in the garden, those falsehoods shadow us all of our lives. If Adam and Eve had not disobeyed in the garden, we wouldn't deal with what we're dealing with today but we are dealing with it it's part of life it began in the garden and but now Jesus the Bible said in Hebrews it said for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy them that had the power of death that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage so he's he's telling us that Jesus coming and dying on the cross will deliver us from that shadow of death and then there are fiends in this valley they're enemies fiendishness we might call it there apparently there are things to be afraid of because look what david said yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil 
So if he's making the statement, I will fear no evil, must be there's some evil in there that you could be afraid of. What would be afraid of in the valley? What would we fear? Well, we would fear an enemy. Because in that valley behind the rocks, there may be robbers, there may be wolves, there may be lions, there may, there may be uh, 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 birds of prey that come down, vultures from the air. In that valley, there are enemies that we could be afraid of. We might be afraid of calamities. Because down in that valley, there might be a rock slide. We might slip off the trail. We might be afraid of our frailty in the valley. Because we look at ourselves and say, see this valley and see the difficulty of it and the trial of our faith. And we say, I'm not up to this. You ever said that? I don't think I can handle this. I'm not up to this. I'm not. I don't know if I can go through this. Sheep are like that sometimes. So everything we read in the in the passage seems to be opposed to faith. But the truth of the matter is, everything in this passage is an example of how faith operates, of how faith is strengthened. How faith is cleansed. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, let's go back to it a minute. Now watch what he said. Pay close attention to this. Yea, though I... What's that next word? Walk. Now that's a good word. I'm glad he didn't say, yea, though I run. Yea, though I flee. Yea, though I... He said, yea, though I walk. Now what is that? That walk is a steady pace. What do we do in the valley? What do we go through the trial? We walk through it in a steady pace. We don't go, we don't go faster and slower. We don't run. We don't then stop. We just go at a steady walk. That's what the life of faith is. It's a steady walk. Did you ever notice in Isaiah chapter 40? When you get down the end of it, this is my life verse. He says, uh, for they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And then what does he say? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, did you ever think that verse is backwards? That's not the way we would have wrote it. Here's the way we would have said it. Boy, I'm living for God. I'm waiting on the Lord. And because of it, I'm going to start out at a walk. And the stronger I get and the better I get, I'm going to break out in a run. And then when I really get moving, I'm going to go to flying. Flying would have been the ultimate in our in our thinking. Isaiah didn't say that. He said walking was the ultimate. You know what he's saying? He's saying the thing that gets more done for God than anything is a steady, consistent walk of faith. I know some folks that fly high one day and they flop down the next day. And in my own life, there's been some times when I've been running to and fro. And the next thing you find me just wore out and out of gas and laying out. And that kind of stuff don't help anybody. So the walk of faith is a steady walk. So David said, hey, we're in the valley. We're in the trial. We're in the trouble. There's difficulty. What do we do? We just keep walking. Just keep walking. We don't sit down. We don't give up. We don't quit. We don't run away. We don't flee. We just walk. You walk through the valley. Now, notice this. Not only there's a steady pace, but notice what else he said. Yea, though I walk. What's that next word? That's a good word. Didn't you, aren't you glad David didn't say, yea, though I walk in? Yea, though I walk around in? I'm glad he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to be in this valley forever. 
He said, yea, though I walk through. You know what? David had, had his eye on the end of the valley. He said, you know what? We won't be here forever. We're going to get through this. What is that? That's faith. There is, first of all, a steady pace. And then there is, I'll call it, because it'll be easy to remember, a settled race. Now, I'm running a race, and I'm running a race to try and please my God and please my Lord. But the truth of the matter is, the outcome of the race has already been decided. What do you mean, preacher? I'm going to make it all the way. I'm kept by the power of God. I'm going to make it. You said, preacher, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. If you belong to God, you're going to make it. Are you listening now? You're going to get through the valley sooner or later. You say, when will it be? I don't know. Just keep on walking. Just keep that steady walk. And one of these days, the valley will be done. One of these days, it'll be over. You say, preacher, when will it be? I don't know. It might not be till we leave this world and get to heaven. But I guarantee you, one day, you're coming out of this valley. We'll walk through this valley one of these days. So there is a there is a steady pace. There is a settled race. The Bible said we walk by faith and not by sight. How do you walk? You don't walk. You don't walk according to what the shadows say. You walk according to what the shepherd says. You don't say, well, that shadow says this. No, you look at the shepherd and say, what's the shepherd doing? I think I'll just follow him. I think I'll just stay behind him. I heard a, I heard an interesting little illustration the other day about following the shepherd. They were these fellows were in the Middle East and they were looking at this. They'd heard all about shepherds and how they loved the sheep and all this sort of thing. And they saw this fella and he was driving the sheep. He was behind them and he was driving them along and driving them and he was being hard on them. And they were so upset because all the things they'd heard about the shepherd and the sheep. And finally they went to the man and they said, they said, Sir, why are you driving this sheep? We've always heard about how the shepherd loves the sheep and he leads the sheep and you're driving them. He said, I'm not the shepherd. He said, I'm taking these sheep to market. They're going to be butchered. He said, I'm not the shepherd. I don't love the sheep. I'm just taking them. It's the end of them. I'm glad our shepherd is not like that. Our shepherd's not taking us to the butcher shop. Our shepherd's taking us to the sheepfold. He won't drive us. He'll lead us. And all he asks us to do is to follow him. So there is, there is a steady pace. There is a settled race. You're going to make it. I heard some folks sing a song a while back in the chorus of said, I'm going to make it through. And you say, well, preacher, you're kind of presumptuous. No, I'm not. I'm not presumptuous. I'm just believing God. I'm just taking him at his word. You say, well, it's a bold statement to say you're going to make it to heaven. Well, I have boldness to come in the throne of grace. And in that throne of grace, behind that veil in heaven, uh, by the mercy seat, there is a high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for the saints and the Bible. The Bible said he is able to save under the uttermost all that come unto him by Christ. I'm just saying to you, friend, I'm going to make it. There is a settled race. And then thirdly, there's a shining face in the valley. Say, preacher, what do you mean? All right, now let's go back here. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the what? The shadow. You, you know what? You can't have a shadow without a light somewhere. There's got to be a light somewhere or there ain't going to be any shadows. So if there's a shadow over here, back over yonder here somewhere, there's a light. You know what? When we see the shadows, we need to remember that behind all of it, there's the shining face of the Savior, the illuminating face of our Lord, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. The old songwriter put it this way. He said, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. Well, I'll put it this way. Standing somewhere behind the shadow, you'll find Jesus. Boy, death may rear up and show himself ugly and fierce in that shadow, but there would be no shadow if there weren't 
eternal light behind it. So somewhere there's Jesus standing by. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, So we just need to trust him. There's a shining face down there in that valley. You see, our faith will be purified. Here's what Job said. He knoweth the way that I take. The shepherd's leading us through the valley. He just asks us to follow him. Just go at a steady pace. And then he said this. He said, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, there the picture is of a fire. And Job didn't say, you know what? I'm in the fire and I'm going to burn up this enemy. He said, no, I shall come forth. And he said, when I do come forth, I'm going to be like purified gold. He said, oh, preacher, what's the valley about? It's to purify our faith. It's to make us more like him. Is to get out the impurities out of our life. You see, there's more than just, there's more than just the, the meadow, the pastures. There's more than just the still water. There's the valley. But in the valley, he'll purify us. Not only that, here's the second thing that happens in the valley, and that is the Lord becomes more personal in the valley. Now I've know you, I know you've noticed this, but I'll remind you of it. Look what David, look how David talks here. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. See all those pronouns there? All right, but watch what happens when you get in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. Now listen what he didn't say. He didn't say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with me. He said, thou art with me. He didn't say his rod and his staff. He said, thy rod and thy staff. You know what? He's been talking about him. But now he's talking to him. You know what's happened in the valley? The shepherd has become more personal to David. He has become, he is close to David. And it's no longer David testifying about him. Now it's David looking him face to face and talking to him. That's what will happen to you in the valley. The presence of Christ will become more personal and become more real. When we're not in the valley and we're kind of, we just feel like we're kind of getting along, you know, we're, we're, we're going, we're getting by. We, we might talk about him and, and, but when you get down the valley, you're going to need some help that you can't get anywhere else and you start talking to him and you know what will happen? He'll show up. Up where you are, he'll. I know he's with us all the time. I understand that people get all out of sorts over that. I understand I, that he is with me in the person of the Holy Ghost. He's always with me. But you know as well as I do, there's sometime when he manifests his presence in an unusual way. You've been there. You've been in situations. You've been in places where you just. I mean, you were just keenly aware of the presence of a loving, powerful God. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not getting mystical. I'm talking about the reality of the Christian life. You. Know no, it's true. So he, uh, sometimes somebody said he always shows up, but sometimes he shows out. And David, when he got down in the valley, the presence of the Lord was with him. So close that David ceases to talk about him and starts to talk to him. Now, I thought about in the Bible that happens happened to Joseph. His brothers, they sold him into slavery. They watched him, according to the book of Psalms, they watched him carried off in irons and chains, fetters hurting his feet. That's the way I take that verse, and I believe that's what it means. And he take, they watched that, and they sold him into slavery. But you know what the Bible said? 
he got down there to Potiphar's house. When he got in the prison, when he was in Potiphar's house, the Bible said, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And then when he got in the prison in Genesis 39, it said, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And then the keeper of the prison uh, gave everything put under his hand because the Lord was with him. What happened? Joseph got down in the valley and Jesus got down there with him. The presence of the Lord was with him in the valley. Same thing happened, I think, with Elijah. Elijah up on the mountain and talking about the the power of God and prayed down the fire from heaven and God and God came and God put that fire in heaven. Elijah had called on him. But you know what? You know what? He got a letter from Jezebel. You remember? You know, you know what I think? This is a whole nother message, but it, it don't take much to get us discouraged. A few words can get us discouraged, can't they? And it don't take us very far to get discouraged. He hadn't gone very far and he's discouraged. But he, he sat down under the juniper tree and he, and he prayed, Lord, said, Lord, it's enough. I'm not better than my father's take away my life. He just wanted to die. You ever been that discouraged? He was that discouraged. But you know what? <coughs> the Bible said, first of all, <coughs> it said an angel showed up while he was asleep and baked a cake on the fire. And I, I, I said, well, I wonder who that angel was. Well, let me tell you who that angel was. It says here in verse number, 1 Kings 19.5, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. So an angel came by. But who was that angel? Was it Michael? Was it Gabriel? Who was it? Well, verse 19.7 says this. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time. You know who the angel of the Lord is in the Old Testament? That is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. You know who it was that showed up under that juniper tree and baked that cake on the coals for Elijah? It was Jesus. You know it had to be some kind of special cook because when he made that cake for him, the Bible says he arose and did eat and drink and went on the strength of that meat 40 days. That'd take a pretty special cook to make something to keep you going for 40 days. Who was it? It was Jesus. What happened? He's in the valley. So what happened? Jesus became more personal to him in the valley. I could tell you about some others. I wrote down Daniel. He told the king. He said the angel, God have sent an angel and closed the mouth of the lions. When? When he's in that lion's den. I didn't read about that angel visiting him anywhere else until later when he's doing the, when the angel comes by and other angels and they're talking about the prophecy. But here he's in the lion's den before all that took place. That angel came by. And what about Paul? Paul said this, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He's talking about how everybody abandoned him. He said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lions. So here's what I'm saying to you, when you get in the valley, uh, don't look at the shadow. Don't look at the trouble. Don't look at the trial. Look for Jesus. You'll find him in there. He'll go down there in the valley with you. The three Hebrew boys went in the furnace of fire. You remember? They got in there. When they got in there, there was the fourth man. I heard a fellow preach the other day on the radio. He said, we like to call him the fourth man, but he wasn't. He's the first man in the fire. He was probably in there before they got there, and he's in there after they left. You know, we read about them coming out, but we don't read about him coming out. You know what? He's waiting in there for you and I when we get in there. I'm just saying to you, the Lord becomes more personal to us in the valley. You know it's true. You know what? You know how God, how precious Jesus. I know He's precious to us when we got saved. I know that. But you know how much more precious He became to you when you went through the trial. And He strengthened you and He fellowshiped with you. He gave you mercy and He helped you. The Lord becomes more personal to us in the valley. 
And so our faith is made more pure in the valley. The Lord becomes more precious to us or, or more personal to us in the valley. And then he'll say one more thing about the valley. Now watch this. He said that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And then he said this, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now what are the rod and the staff? Those are the tools of the shepherd. But you know what? We haven't heard anything about him until this verse. The rod, the, the shepherd had the rod and the staff when he made him lie down in the green pastures. Because the shepherd always has the rod and staff with him. He had the rod and staff with him when he was beside the still waters. He had the rod and the staff with him when he restored the soul. He had the rod and the staff with him when he led him in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. But we don't ever hear anything about it. But you know what happens? Here's the third thing that happens again in the valley. What happens in the valley is help becomes more precious. When you're in the valley, you get down in the valley, you get excited about any little, any little helpful thing that God will do for you. You know what we do? We take him for granted when we're not in the valley, don't we? We don't thank him much. I, I think what happens to us is we get so spoiled that we, we feel like we, 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 we deserve, we rate everything that God does for us. But when you get in the valley, then you get looking around for help. And God helps you. And what he sends you becomes so precious. You don't ever forget it, do you? <laughs> you don't ever get over it. You go on telling people, say, this is what the Lord gave me when I was in the valley. Here's what God did for me when I was in a mess. Here's how God showed up. And here's what he told me. And here's what he gave. You know what? You know what happens sometimes? I'll get to this rod and staff in a minute. But what happens a lot of times they'll get in a service and somebody say, well, maybe the preacher say, well, let's stand up and let's quote our favorite Bible verse. I've been in services where they do that testimony. So here's my favorite Bible verse. And invariably somebody in the congregation, maybe several somebody's, but at least one will get up and say, now, this is my favorite verse. And then they'll say this. They'll say, the Lord gave me this when I was going through the trial. The Lord put this verse, I heard one fellow put it this way. He said, he said, God gave me this when I was in the valley and it's still alive in my soul today. I like that kind of language. He said, it's still working in there. Still talk. Where to come from? Came that time in the valley. And so here, the, the, David, when he, the sheep, when he's in the valley, he said, you know what? I want to tell you about what I, what, what came, became precious to me in the valley. That rod and that staff. That shepherd had it all along, but it was in that valley. That rod and that staff. Now they tell me that the rod is a short instrument about, about uh, two foot long and it, it's cut from a tree and on the end where the roots are where it would be all gnarled, they've got it ground down and polished down to where it's kind of a knob and then they've got little things sticking in it so it's a weapon. And it's used to fight off the enemy. Used to fight off the beast. The staff, that's the rod. The staff is a long stick and at the end it's crooked. It's pulled over. And, uh, and, and you can do that, you can do that different ways, but it's crooked over so it's got like a hook on the end of it. So the shepherd's going along. He's got, he has more things than that. He has the shepherd's bag, which has several things in it. But he, but the things that are mentioned here that the sheep, David, mentioned was the rod and the staff. And he said, you know what the rod and the staff did for me when I was in the valley? They comforted me. That's what you need when you're in the valley. You need some comfort. And David said they comforted me. What would we say about the rod and the staff? Somebody called it the club and the crook. Shepherd had the club and the crook. Uh, and, and really what the rod and the staff are for, they're for guarding and they're for guiding. We might say 
that the word of God is the rod and the Holy Ghost is the staff guarding and guiding us. You know what happens when you get in the valley? The word of God becomes precious to you. How come? Because it's the sword of the spirit. It's what we use to fight off the enemy. And so I I thought about to take unto us the sword of the spirit. What did Jesus use when he fought the devil out in the wilderness? What did he use? He used the word of God. He said, it is written. Now, the devil tried to use the word of God, too, but he misinterpreted it. But Jesus interpreted. I heard this. You know, the Bible said, submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I heard this charismatic preacher say one time, he said, oh, that's what they say, but it doesn't work. He said, you can't resist the devil and he won't flee from you. Well, I know why he didn't flee from that charismatic preacher. Because the verse before said, submit yourselves unto God. And if you're not submitted unto God then you're not going to be able to resist the devil. But if you will submit yourself unto God by submitting to the word of God, then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. I thought about what these two things are for. There, First of all, uh, there's the comfort here of being defended. Being defended by the word of God. You say, well, preacher, I, I don't know what weapon to use. Well, don't use your philosophy. Don't use your intellect. Don't even use your experience. I'm glad for good experiences, but sometimes my experiences get a little cockeyed and sometimes I don't remember them exactly the way they were. But I tell you what's always the same. It's the word of God. Get your Bible. Just get your Bible. Just get your Bible. Get your Bible out. You say, preacher, I need a weapon. I'm, I'm going through the valley and there's shadows around and there's evil and I'm, there's some things I'm fearful of. Then get your Bible and read your Bible and let the Holy Ghost of God take the Bible and comfort your heart. Boy, you can read some good words, those those verses like, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, where where Peter said we're kept by the power of God, where where Paul said in the book of Hebrews, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Some don't believe that. And it's okay. I wouldn't argue with you when you get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right. But but when you get to the book of Hebrews and Paul said that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation, that's a pretty good verse right there. Amen. Now, you just look in the Bible, you'll find some precious promises. That's the rod that drives off the enemies. It drives off the vultures. It drives off the wolves. It drives off the coyotes. It drives off the wild dogs. That's what the Word of God does. It drives off the enemy. And then there's that staff. Not only are we defended, but we're directed. Now that staff is interesting because the shepherd will take that staff and he'll tap on the ground. And he'll tap on the ground to make sure it's fit to walk on. But what'll happen is you get down in that valley and those walls are, those walls are high and it's thin and it's, and it's dusty and the wind gets to blowing and you can't see very good. And maybe the, maybe the shepherd, maybe he's, he's ahead now and he's trying to lead you. And now the sheep's in the midst of that dust and that storm and he's having a hard time seeing. He don't know which way to go. Do you know what he can hear? He hears that shepherd tapping with that staff. And he follows the tapping of that staff. You know what, you know what the Bible talks about the Holy Ghost? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now you say, well, how will the Holy Spirit lead me? Well, he's not going to lead us in this days through dreams and visions. He's going to lead us by the Word of God. He's going to, he's going to, here, Jesus said this. Oh, I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You're not in a hurry, are you? If you go read the book, you read, you read John 14, 15, and 16, and Jesus talks about sending the comfort of the Holy Ghost. 
And here's what he said the Holy Ghost is going to do. He said the Holy Ghost is going to, is going to, uh, teach you all things. Then he said the Holy Ghost is going to bring you the remembrance. Jesus said this. He'll bring you remembrance of things which I've spoken unto you. Then he said he'll testify of me. Then he said he'll guide you into all truth. And then he said the Holy Ghost will show you things to come. Now I want you to think about those five things. All things. What is that? That's the Old Testament. All these things happen for our ensamples. And then he'll bring you remembrance of things which I've said. What is that? That's the gospel. And then he'll testify of me. Where we find that? In the book of Acts. And then he'll guide you into all truth. What is that? That's the epistles. And then he'll show you things to come. What's that? That's the book of Revelation. So here's what he's saying. Here's what the Holy Ghost is going to do. He's going to use the Bible to direct you. He's going to lead you and guide you. That, that tapping of the shepherd. You say, preacher, I don't know if I can get through the valley. You listen, you listen for the, you listen for the shepherd. You let the Holy Ghost bring you. Now stay in your Bible so that he can lead you and he can guide you. So there's that. Then there's something else to do with that staff. Here's what they do. At the end of the day, when they're at the sheepfold, the the shepherd will will make the door very thin so that only one sheep can go through at a time. There's several reasons why he's going to do that. But one of the reasons he's going to do that, he's going to take that staff and every sheep that comes, he's going to stop that sheep. He's going to look him over and he's going to say, are you my sheep? And then if it's his sheep, he's going to pull that staff back and let that sheep go in. He's going to stop the next one. You know what that that staff designates, whether we're his or whether we're not. And here's what the Bible said. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And Paul said in another place, what? No, you're not. Your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Wherefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God. So David said, I'm going to tell you what that rod and that staff did. It comforted me. It comforted me to know that I was defended. It covered, comforted me to know that I was directed. And it comforted me to know that I was designated as one of his down there in that valley. I'll tell you one more thing that the shepherd might do in that valley with that staff. It's crooked on the end. So if they get in that narrow place and there's a there's a hole there and a sheep falls into the hole, what will the shepherd do? He'll take that he'll take that staff, the crook end, and he'll take it down. If it's a large sheep, he'll put it right around the neck of the sheep and he'll pull him up out of the hole. If it's a little sheep, he'll take it down and wrap it around the front, hook it around the front legs, around the body, and pull him up out of the hole. You have been pulled up out of the hole by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you ever take a wrong step and find yourself someplace you didn't expect to be and didn't want to be? And the sweet Holy Ghost didn't come by and say, well, I'm just going to leave you down there because you messed up and I'm tired of messing with you. No, he re- the Savior, the shepherd reached down there in love and care and pulled you up. You've been pulled up out of a hole. I'll tell you what we ought to do, just recess and shout a while because all of us been pulled up out of a hole or two in our Christian life. All of us been brought about. All of us. He's got that staff and that crook around us and yanked us up when maybe in rebellion or maybe because of foolishness or maybe because we weren't paying attention or maybe we just slipped and we ended up in a hole. But thank God he didn't leave us there. The shepherd brought us out. I'm trying to say this to you. Say, preacher, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the valley. Well, I'm not volunteering for one. But I'm going to tell you this. God, the shepherd, will do some things for you in the valley. You can't do any other way. He's going to take you through the valley and he is going to take you through it. And I want to remind you, we're going through it. We're not going to be left in it. You know what? You can't have a valley unless you got a hill. You can't have a low place unless there's a high place somewhere. So if we're in a low place, you know what we're headed for? 
we're headed for the high place. If we're in the valley and we keep on walking, you know where we're going to end up? We're going to end up on the mountaintop. Sooner or later. You say, preacher, I don't know when. I, when it's going to happen, I don't know. But sooner or later, he'll restore our souls like you talked about in this passage. And we'll come out of that valley. And it'll be a, it'll be a glad day. But here's what will happen. We'll come out of the valley better than we were when we went into the valley. Because that's the shepherd's purpose in our life. So maybe that's why the songwriter said, Lord, I thank you for the valley. Hard to do when you're in the valley. So let's just thank him by faith when we're in the valley because we know we're headed through and coming out. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe somebody would say tonight, Preacher, I'm not in the green pastures tonight. Preacher, I'm not beside the still waters. Maybe you'd say to me tonight, Preacher, I've wandered from the path of righteousness. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. What can I do? Well, remember, he's still your shepherd. And remember, there's a mountain on the end of the valley. And remember, he wants you to keep walking and following him. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Keep walking. Keep following. You say, preacher, I'm following afar off. I know, I know, but follow anyway. Listen for his voice and talk to him and tell him. Just keep on walking. Just keep on walking. We'll get out of this valley one of these days. We'll get out. There's hope to get through the valley. Now, Father, you help us tonight. There might be somebody tonight, Lord, that's unsaved. They don't know the Lord is their Savior. They've never been born again. You're not their shepherd. You want to be, but you're not. And I pray tonight, Lord, they'd see their lost condition, admit it. They'd repent and believe the gospel. Even as Peter talked about how we return to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And I pray, Lord, you're the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. You laid down your life for us. Died on the cross because we were sinners, because we like sheep had gone astray. And so, Lord, if there's somebody lost, I pray they come and trust you. But if there's some Christian tonight who's in the valley, maybe they're discouraged, maybe they think about throwing in the towel, maybe they think about just sitting down and quitting, I pray tonight, Lord, you help them just keep on walking and to walk through. No matter how bad the shadows are, no matter how the difficulties are, no matter how dry and long it seems to get, I pray down there in the valley they'll sense your presence and you'll lead them out. Help somebody tonight and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we want to say you're a wonderful shepherd and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.